Good morning, family. It's good to be together this morning. Uh, as I said earlier, my name is Joel Fair, and I'm an elder here at Coast, where it's my privilege to join with all of the partners here um, as we proclaim the glory of God throughout all of Brevard County. And then when we go outside of Brevard County, we proclaim the word of God wherever we are. And so it's a joy that we get to do this together. It's a privilege. And, uh, and this morning I get to open the word and, and help us to look at it, to see what's written there. Uh, we've been in the, the series Witnesses, and we finished it last week. Way to go, Matt. Uh, great job finishing Witnesses. Acts 28 was last week, and so we had spent almost a year in Acts going through and, and looking at the narrative of the story of Acts and how God went about establishing his church, and it was sweet. Um, and this morning, we're going to kind of shift focuses, shift, shift our focus a little bit. You guys have seen that we're, we're in Psalm 146. Over the summer, uh, the last couple of years, we've, we've tried to spend uh, the summer in Psalms and looking at, at those songs that were sung and remember why they were sung. And so this morning, that's what we're doing. Psalm 146 is one of the first of the final five psalms, and they're, they're usually grouped together, and they're psalms of praise, psalms that make much about who God is and rejoice in who he is. And so the psalms were written by David and others, and, and they're a reminder of hope, the hope that they, that they were looking forward to at that time, the, the hope of a temple. They, they didn't even have the temple yet, most of them. And, and so then the temple is built, and they were, they were looking forward to a Messiah, and so they had this great hope. And they would sing songs to remind them of the hope that they had. That there would come a time when the kingdom of heaven would actually come to earth. When God would make everything right. Where there would be no more injustice, but there would be a good, a good king who would rule. And so this morning I pray that this psalm will become a song of praise for us. That it would remind us of the hope that we have. That we have a, a hope of a future king who's going to come and he's going to establish the kingdom of heaven on, on earth. And yet he's already done it. And he's invited us to participate in what he's doing. Our king has come. And he's given us his Holy Spirit who's coming again. Will you pray with me this morning as we open the word? Lord, we are uh, in awe of who you are. God, and if we're not in awe of who you are right now, it's just because our eyes are not opened. And so we would ask that you would open our eyes, that we would see you for your beautiful face, God, that we would know you, that we would open our eyes to the creation that's surrounding us, that we would open our eyes to the people that are sitting next to us, knowing that they're, they're different from us, and yet they're made in the image of Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear this morning as we as we sing your word, as we uh, remind ourselves and preach the gospel to ourselves first and foremost, that we would hear it, that it would be good news, and that we would rejoice in that hope. Lord, I pray for the partners that are working in the nursery and with the preschoolers this morning. God, I thank you for um, the way that they are loving you by loving the children. And so I pray that they would point clearly to Jesus. Lord, help me to point clearly to Jesus this morning. I pray that around the world, where the gospel is being preached, that people would hear it, that some would come and know it for the first time, and that their eyes would be opened and they would be saved. Lord, and we pray that that would happen here this morning. God, you're good. We know that's true. We pray that we would believe it this morning. Amen. Well, uh, we're going to look at this psalm, and we're actually going to look at it from three different 
three different views. So the first one is to help me wrap my head around what Psalms is, because we've been in a narrative for quite a while, right? We were in the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is simply a story that's telling of how God went about establishing his church. And so now we kind of have to shift gears because uh, Psalms are not written the same way. They're written as songs that are meant to be sung. And so I want to look at, at the psalm quickly as a, as a literary work of art, just to give us some context before we, we do uh, our, our reading this morning. So I don't want to dive too deep into it, because to be honest, I'm not qualified to take us very deep in the literary aspect of the psalms. Um, I don't claim to be a creative person. I'm more of an efficient person. And so, unfortunately, I, I miss out a lot on the enjoyment of beauty and seeing it for what it is. But I do want us to at least look at it this morning. Uh, the Psalms are poems and should be read as poetry. And so we don't have enough time to go deep in this, but just a quick overview. Again, we, we've shifted out of a, a narrative into this poetic uh, book that uses poetry and uses metaphor, uses language, right? And even its structure to create art, to create something beautiful. We see it in Psalm 146, as the author uses a couplet, which is the same line at, at two different points, to kind of create the first and last line. So everything's sandwiched in between this, right? So that first line, we can read it together. It says, praise the Lord, right? And the last line says, praise the Lord. Perfect. That's it. So it's this, it's this couplet, and that's the literary design to say, hey, it starts with praise and it ends with praise. So this whole song is going to be about praise to our God and our King. Praise the Lord in, in, in Hebrew is hallelujah, right? And so we, we may not even even known that. We may have said hallelujah a whole bunch of times in our lives and not known that that means praise the Lord, right? And so that's, that's where we start and where we're going to end in praise. The psalm, like the existence of life itself, both begins and ends with the praise of God. I mean, if we can wrap our heads around that, that in the beginning there was praise of God because it was just God who's praising himself in three persons, right? And at the end, there's going to be praise of God. And we can just enjoy that and understand it. I think there's beauty there. We see more of the beauty of the language in Psalms, in Psalm 146 and verse 7 and 8, right? Where five times it uses the same two, for us it's two words, for the, the original text, it was just one word, Yahweh. Five consecutive lines begin with the Lord, right? So he's trying in the, in the beauty of the structure of the psalm to simply point out something very important. The repeti- repetition is a literary design to help with both memorization and to drive home a point. And they would sing this song over and over. Often, as is in the case here in, in this psalm, it's used for what the author believes is the most important section of the psalm so that as we sing it, we will remember it. These are just two examples. Again, not qualified. I can't, can't take us too far into this. But if you're looking for more resources, if this has somehow whetted your appetite to where you're like, man, I want to I look at the literary aspect of the Psalms. Uh, the Bible Project is a great place to go. They've got some great videos on how to read books of poetry in the Bible, how to read the Psalms. And then if you get a chance to hear the Psalms sung, in, in their original language. It's just beautiful. It's, it's way different from the way that we go about reading it. So I would just encourage you guys in those, in those things to, to go out, to, to do some research, to find these things, 
um, to spend some time in what the Psalms sound like and, and to enjoy them for their beauty, um, and then also their content, which we're going to do in a couple couple minutes. Um, the the next thing that I just wanted to point out real fast before we start expositing the text and kind of going through it line by line is every Sunday we gather and we have what we call a liturgy to our service. It's it's the way we tell the story. And and the beautiful thing is we didn't make that up. It wasn't something that we said, oh, this would be a good idea, and if you put this song here and this one there, it works best. No, the, the liturgy of our of our Sunday gathering is laid out really clear here in this psalm. Verses 1 and 2 are called to praise. So we start with two songs. So kids, if you're ever wondering, why do we do this? Why do we have these two songs? And then one of the old guys always gets up there and leads us in a prayer confession, right? And, and maybe you're wondering, trying to figure out why we do that. Well, this is why we do it. We have a liturgy to our service, the way that we go about telling the story. So verses 1 and 2, right? They, they're telling us to praise the Lord. It coincides with our gospel rhythm of celebration, that, that we would long to make much of who God is in those first two songs, to really lift Him up so that we can remember once again who He is. And then there's a the verbal call where someone will come up and welcome us and remind us that we're not here because any one of us called the service, but because God himself has called the service and made it possible. Verses 3 and 4 point to the confession in this psalm. Right? The confession that, that we often run to humans for our confidence and our trust rather than running to God. It hints to, to that connection rhythm that we have where we come in and, and we'll sing a song of confession and then we'll have a prayer of confession. Confessing who God is, who we are, and who Christ is. And then verses 5 through 9, which we're going to get into and, and expound some, is just displaying the beauty of God. And so that's what we do in this sermon time. We gather together. We sit under the Word of God. We look to it to see His face, to see what He's done, to see who He is, to remind us of who He's called us to be in light of who He is. Right? And we get to experience that together. And then, uh, finally, it ends in the contribution of praise in verse 10 where it says, praise the Lord, right? And so we end our service with three songs of praise, with, a, uh, with taking communion, with contributing to the story being told, whether it's through our time, talent, and treasure, right? And then we go out and we be the church and continue telling that story. So every Sunday when you gather and you're like, man, why do we do it the way that we do it? We do it the way that we do it because the Bible's laid out some patterns for us on how to do that. And so I, as I was reading it, I was just... Uh, thankful, thankful that God's laid those out for us to remind us first and foremost of who he is before we try to get to who we are, right? Because we're quick to, to jump the gun on that and to go straight to who we are, and, and really it's all about him. So the liturgy of our service, which the liturgy just means how we go about telling the story. All right, so we've got the beauty of the literature. We've got the liturgy of our service that mimics some of that beauty, and now we're going to dive into the psalm itself. I love the way the psalm begins in verse 1, praise the Lord, hallelujah. It seems simple, um, but it's a calling, right? It's, a, it's, it's both actual praise, praise the Lord, so you can imagine someone standing with their hands raised, just praising the Lord, but it's also a, a command and a call to the rest of us around us to say, hey, praise the Lord, He's worthy of praise. 
And so we do that every Sunday and we do it throughout the week when we come together and we say, hey, can I pray for you? Because let's give God glory and honor because he's do it. And then thankfully, the psalmist says, praise the Lord, O my soul, because there's going to be times where we don't feel it, right? Where we're not exuberant, we're not happy. Actually, the circumstances are pretty crummy, right? And we're going to have to tell ourselves and we're going to have to preach that gospel to ourselves to say, Oh, my soul, praise the Lord, because you've forgotten that he's good. You've forgotten that he's, that everything that you need, you have in Christ, right? And so the psalmist is leading us in this to say, hey, praise the Lord, oh, my soul, because I've forgotten and I need to be reminded. I need the gospel preached to my own heart. We talk about preaching the gospel in, in whatever community that we have, and the first community we have is our own soul, Second one would be our household. Can we preach the gospel to our own households? And where are we preaching the gospel to our neighbors? So we preach that praise the Lord, oh my soul. Surely he is worthy of praise. In verse two, the psalmist points out that this isn't just a temporary uh, praise. This is as long as I have breath. Let's read it. It says, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. We currently have life and we currently have breath, right? Some of you can smell your neighbors and so you know it, you know we have it, right? Um, but we have life and breath. What are we doing with the current life and breath that we have? Are we wasting it or are we, are we contributing to the praise and glory of our great God? The psalmist is encouraging us to use that as an opportunity to give God glory. But even when this body dies and and it's gone, we believe that the Bible says that we will have a different being, that we will be created, uh, that, that we will have a new being put on a new flesh. And so we'll still have a soul that will cry out and praise God and worship him. And so eternally, we're going to have a song that we're singing that gives much praise and honor and glory to our God. Last week we looked at Revelation uh, chapter 5, I believe, and, and we're reminded again of the lamb who was slain. He was the only one that was able to break the seal and open the scroll. Remember that? Man, what a beautiful passage. And, and we, we read how the elders and the creatures and all the created things bowed down and worshipped and sang worthy Worthy, worthy. That's the song that we're, that we're going to be singing for all of eternity. And as long as we have being, as long as we have breath, and then beyond that, as long as we have being, we will sing, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. To receive honor and glory and power and praise and worship forever and ever. So the psalmist opens, praise the Lord. Everybody praise the Lord. Me praise the Lord. Praise the Lord when, why? We're going to look in Psalm uh, as we continue, but he's saying in all places and in all times, praise the Lord. Verse 3 through 5, this is the challenge for the people of Israel during that time, and it's the challenge for us today. And this is where the conviction is going to start to rise up in all of us, is that um, it says, put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. 
When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. But verse 5 says, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. As I was doing uh, my preparation this week, I came upon a a passage by St. Augustine. And it says um, in this quote, Brethren, here we receive a mighty task. And you're going to have to bear with me because it's some old English. All right, kids? But let's read it together. It's on the screen. Brethren, here we receive a mighty task. It is a voice from heaven. From above, it soundeth for us. For now, through some kind of weakness, the soul of man... For now, through some kind of weakness, the soul of man, whensoever it is in tribulation here, despaireth of God and chooseth to rely on man. Let it be said to one, when set in some affliction, there is a great man by whom thou mayest be set free. He smileth, he rejoiceth, he is lifted up. But if it is said to him, God freeth thee, he is chilled, so to speak, by despair. The aid of a mortal is promised, and thou rejoicest. The aid of the immortal is promised, and art thou sad? It is promised thee that thou shalt be freed by one who needeth to be freed with thee, and thou exultest as at some great aid. But thou art promised that liberator who needeth not needeth none to free him, and thou despairest as though it were but a fable. Woe to such thoughts, they wander far. Truly there is sad and great death in them. Approach, begin to long, begin to seek, and to know him by whom thou wast made. Again, slightly distracting as I try to read it. And yet the truth of it is that so often we run to the created rather than the creator. We run to the finite rather than the infinite. We run to the mortal rather rather than the immortal, right? We look to people, whether it could be our parents, whether it could be our friends, whether it could be coworkers for satisfaction, for wisdom, for gain of some sort. And all the while, we have been promised the Holy Spirit of God, the one who is all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful, and we seek this temporary fleeting mortal wisdom instead of the wisdom of God. And so the psalmist is saying the same thing. He's saying, put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation, because he's going to die. He's going to pass away. It's going to be done. But you have an immortal God, one who is forever. Put your hope in him the God of Jacob, the Lord his God. So why put our hope in princes and people when we have this access to such a better hope? Probably that's because we don't believe that that hope is better, right? We believe that um, we can, if we just depend on ourselves, if we depend on other people, it's more tangible, it's more evident, and I'm going to be able to get through it rather than trusting in a God who, who has laid down his life for us. So the questions that we take away from this are, how have I trusted in the creation rather than the creator? How have I trusted in others, a son of man? Who have I looked to 
as my source of uh, confidence, my source of identity. And then the, the next question quickly following that would be, how have I trusted in myself? A son of man, right? Also immortal, also unwise. I think about all the times that I lean into my, the gifts that I feel like God's given me, right? The ability to, to figure out problems, the, the ability to uh, think through solutions. And yet, I, I rest on my own abilities rather than trusting in the one who is good and, sa- and, and is saved and is all-knowing. So the psalmist says, Blessed is he whose help, whose hope is in the Lord, the God of Jacob, the Lord his God. Because that blessing is sure. So he has this inner confidence in God. Why does he have an inner confidence in God? Why can he say this and believe it? Why can he say, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God? Well, we're going to see it. And the rest of the passage, six through, verses 6 through 9, talk about who this God is and what he's done. Verse 6 says, Who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. These verses 6 through 7, where it's talking about who, 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 it's pointing to this attributes of God. And it lays out about five for us that are really helpful. The first attribute of God is that he's the creator, right? Right? who created, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. The second thing is that he's the, he's the truth keeper. He's faithful. He's the only thing that's faithful that's never going to fail us. It says at the end of verse 6, he who keeps faith forever. The third thing we see, who executes justice for the oppressed. He, he is the vindicator. He is the one who sets things right. It says, who gives food to the hungry. He is the provider. And lastly, it says, he who sets the, the Lord who sets the prisoner free. He's the deliverer. As I was reading verses 8 through 9, right where it talks about the Lord opens the eyes of the blind, the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down, the Lord loves the righteous. He watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. It reminded me of Isaiah and his vision of, of the coming day of the Lord. In, in verse, chapter 61, verses 1 through 3, Isaiah says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. See, 
The psalmist is hoping for this day where the, where the Lord will do all of these things forever, not just in a temporary way where, where he's experienced some sort of deliverance, he's experienced some sort of freedom in a momentary circumstance, whether it, whether it would be David who's singing a psalm because God has won a battle for him, or, or it'd be David who's, who's crying out for forgiveness for the sin that, that he's committed and, and he's been reconciled to God, right? And so he's hoping for one day when there will come a time where all of this will be permanently established. And Isaiah is looking forward to that time also. And this picture of who God is that the psalmist is painting is the person of Jesus. This, this God who is the creator we see in the face of Jesus. We've been given the Son to see who God is. In Colossians 1, 15 through 17, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in, in Him all things hold together. Jesus is the Creator God. Jesus is the faithful one. We see it in Hebrews when he's talking about what the blood of Jesus has purchased for us on our behalf. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. The blood of Jesus has purchased, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. So Jesus is the faithful one, the truth keeper. All these five attributes that we see in the Psalms, we know Jesus is, is them. He's our vindicator and our justification. We, we talked about that in our question and answer time, how, how Christ has justified us, Romans 8.30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And maybe this morning, you're, you're just hearing about this justification piece, and you don't you don't quite understand what that means. Well, it means that because of what Jesus has done on the cross, because of the blood that he poured out, right, where we should have sin and shame, he bore it on the cross in our place. And so a just punishment was served. But we, the ones who earned that just punishment, we didn't take it. Jesus took it in our place. And so this morning, we can look to him as our vindicator and our justification. He was broken and he was bruised on our behalf. And, it, and in our place, he took the sin and the shame, the punishment for the sin and the shame, and he exchanged to us the righteousness that he bore out in his life. And so now when, Christ, when, when God looks at us on our behalf, it's just the righteousness of Jesus. It's not even just a blank slate, which seems like that would be great. But it has all of the beautiful qualities of Jesus because he is our justifier. And he's our provider and is himself the provision. So we're, we're looking at the five attributes that we see in verses 6 and 7. God the creator, God the truth keeper, God the vindicator, God the provider. In Luke twenty two nineteen through 20, Jesus is sitting at the Lord's Supper with his disciples. 
And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood. So God, Jesus is not only the provider, he is, he is the actual provision for us. He is what sustains us. He's what makes us whole. And lastly, he is our deliverer. Romans 4, 23 through 5, 2 says, But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. If all of these things are true, then we can go to verse 10 in Psalm 146, and we can say, The Lord will reign forever. Our God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Right? If all of these things are true, if we have this full picture of who Christ is and what he's done and how he's come and fulfilled all of this, then we can rejoice. We can praise. We should praise. And so as we were driving here today, um, I had all of this kind of laid out in my mind about what, what we were going to go through. And then I was convicted, and I, and I thought about David, who's the author of a lot of the Psalms. We're not sure about this Psalm 146. But I thought about how radical he worshipped, and he only had a remnant of what we have been given. He only had a small hope that one day there would be a temple that would be built. He hadn't even seen the temple that his son Solomon would build yet. He he didn't know that Jesus came and he fulfilled all of these things. He didn't have the whole scripture. And yet he radically worshipped with his life. Uh, as, As it was pointed out quickly by my wife, he also radically sinned with his life. And yet it says that he was a man after God's own heart. And so the conviction that was laid upon me was, man, I've rejoiced in America this week way more than I rejoice in Christ. I've rejoiced in whatever, hot dogs and hamburgers more than I've rejoiced in Christ. And who am I? I've been given all of it. I know how the book ends, right? I have a much clearer picture of who Christ is and and what he's done for us and this God who saves, the God who is the creator, the God who is all of these attributes, and yet I go and I worship so many lesser things. And I think that that's, that's the point of the psalm. The point of the psalm is to remind us, hey, you've worshipped, you've worshipped princes, you've worshipped lesser things. But remember, you have this great and incredible God, and you have the whole story. And so can we go and proclaim and praise for all of eternity? The Lord will reign forever. Forever means forever. It doesn't end, right? There is no other side of that. We're going to join with those, with those elders and with those created beings, and we're going to worship God forever. We get to start now. We get to participate in what he's doing. So the application piece, praise the Lord. 
right? That's, that's it. It's no, there's no hidden secret to it. Let's praise the Lord. What does this have to do with us several thousand years later? The same thing that it had to do with the author. He saw who God was and he shouted, praise the Lord, hallelujah. And so now today we get to do the same thing. But there's, there is more to it. Christ says, uh, the spirit of God now dwells inside of us. Right, And so if God is all of these things, if he is the one who uh, keeps faith, if he is the one who executes judgment and justice for the oppressed, if he is the one who gives food to the hungry, if he is the one who sets the prisoner free and his spirit is dwelling inside of us, then guess what? That means we get to go and we get to do the same thing by the power of the living God. We get to participate in the story that he's called us to. We get to look at the oppressed and say, I, I, I'm oppressed too, and yet I have this great Savior. We get to look at the hungry, right? And one of the, one of the sweet gifts that we were given in, in my study this week was, was well, why, why does he provide food to the hungry? That means that he's, he must withhold at some point so that they know that they're hungry. Otherwise, they would just be living in abundance, right? And yet God withholds so that he can provide food for the hungry and we can recognize our need and our desire and our hunger for him. And so what a gift that to even be hungry and then he meets that, that need that we have. And so we pray that God would deliver and we believe that he may use us to do it whether it's a a spiritual deliverance that someone needs and we can share the gospel with them, or or maybe it's a very tangible deliverance that they need where we can give of of not even our abundance, but just what we have. We can minister to the oppressed. We can adopt the orphan. We can meet the widow. We can give to the hungry. We can go to the imprisoned, whether it's an established prison or whether it's in prison because of their own choices, right? Because I'm in prison because of my own choices. And we can meet their needs. And we, and we remember that it's not the end of the story, right? It says that the Lord watches over the sojourners. That's us. We're here for a temporary time. This is not, this is not everything that we have. These benches, they're not going with us. Sorry, guys. I know that most of you will miss that, but they're not going to be in heaven. There, there won't be, I can't say that, I don't know. I'm guessing that there's not going to be these cafeteria benches in heaven. We'll see. All right, we've been given this time to be able to participate in what he's doing. It begins with praise, and in the praising, we get to do. We get to go and be the hands and feet that he's called us to be. We get to be imitators of Christ. But while we have breath, while we're given this life, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you that, um, that you have stirred it in our hearts to believe this to be true. Um, we pray even now, Lord, as... Um, you're moving and, and by your Holy Spirit, you're exposing sin. You're exposing where we have indulged in lesser things, where we've gotten more excited uh, about a, a soccer game than we've gotten 
about who Jesus is or or we've been more excited about um, some good food rather than the provision of your son, whether we've been excited about the, the freedom that we have, more excited about the freedom that we have than about those that are imprisoned and that need deliverance and, and you've, you've offered it. So God, Lord, we pray that you would uh, search our hearts and that as we see those things, that we would confess those things to be true and, and that we wouldn't dwell in them, but we would give them up to you and say, Lord, God, you have a better story. I pray that I would believe that to be true. Pray that you would stir in us praise. Pray that we'd be um, radical in our belief, radical in our faith. God, the boxes that we put you in, we pray that you would just bust them up. Thank you that you came for us, the prisoner, the oppressed, the hungry the blind, the bowed down. God, and you came and you've set us free and you've delivered us and you've justified us and you've uh, been faithful, God, and you created us. And Lord, because we're created in your image, you've called us to be imitators of Christ. And so Lord, I pray that we would go out, uh, not not in condemnation, but just realizing who we are and what you've done in our hearts and that because of that, we would give you Uh, extravagant praise with our lives. Lord, that we would use the breath you've given us. Thank you that we're going to get to do this for all of eternity. I pray that that would be good news for us, that we would enjoy that. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.